From his side gig in college to now over 1,300 mobile home sites, my guest today, Jimmy Johnson from Tampa, Florida, is an avid fisherman, and I try to get him to do something that's never been done on the W2 Capitalist podcast before, and that is to propose to his girlfriend. Now, <laughs> spoiler alert, this does not happen, but we do talk about Three reasons to transition from multifamily to mobile home parks. We get into details on his first deal, his first mobile home park deal that he closed with no money. And then we talk about his mindset shift with time freedom, not having that W-2. Believe it or not, when you exit that W-2, and not everybody's here to exit their W-2. If this is the first time you've discovered the W-2 capitalist, then we are a resource for 25 to 40 year old parents of young children who want to build multiple streams of income so that can worry less about being acquired, fired, or laid off. And that eventually evolves into time freedom or financial freedom. And I'll tell you, as going through this process myself over a year ago, it is quite the transition. If you've been in the W-2 world for any amount of time, you've been on somebody else's clock, and all of a sudden you have this freedom to do and go and do whatever you want to with your family, it is quite the transition. Now, don't feel sorry for any of us yet because you're going to get there one day if that's what you want to do. But people do come to the W-2 Capitalist as a resource to not only find hints and tips and resources to achieve that financial freedom, but also just to build a bigger nest egg or start talking about providing some real generational wealth for your family. Before we get into today's episode with Jimmy, I want to point you to our podcast sponsor and my personal agent, Mark Willis. If you've ever taken a minute to total up just how much you pay in finance charges, you will see that in your lifetime, this can easily add up to hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. And that is money that you can actually be putting to work for you right now and pass those earnings to your kids when the time comes. This is a strategy that has been around for hundreds of years that typically the uber rich have used. And guess what? You and I can use it too. I typically give this link at out at the end of the episode, but I'm going to drop it here just in case you want to go ahead and jump over to that and schedule a free 15 minute consultation with Mark. You can do so at w2capitalist.com forward slash bank. It's w2capitalist.com forward slash B-A-N-K. Mark and I recently did a webinar to talk. We really wouldn't we. He talked into more detail about what this entails. If you ever have any questions about exactly what I'm doing, I'm happy to share that. Just send me an email, j at w2capitalist. It's J-A-Y at W2Capitalist.com. But now, let's start your engines, catch the touchdown pass, reel in the big fish, and let's go score some mobile home parks with our guest, Mr. Jimmy Johnson. capitalist you are addressing the gap between your successful fulfilling w-2 job and building wealth for your family through real estate investing you are ready to earn invest repeat welcome to the w-2 capitalist podcast now let's get to work here's your host jay helms What's up, y'all? My name is Jay Helms. I am the founder of this podcast and movement known as the W2 Capitalist. And today with me, I have none other than Jimmy Johnson, not the NASCAR Jimmy Johnson, not the Dallas Cowboys Jimmy Johnson, but Jimmy Johnson, the mobile home park man. Uh, let me get to his bio. Jimmy 
is the founder of Sand Dollar Communities, which focuses on the sourcing of off-market, direct-to-seller mobile home parks. He has closed 28 mobile home parks in 12 different states. That's pretty freaking incredible. You've also founded Sand Dollar Community Management, Communities Management, a mobile home park management firm that manages a growing portfolio of over 1,200 sites across the country. Jimmy lives in Tampa, Florida, is an avid boater and fisherman. As you can tell, if you're watching this on YouTube, he's got that stuff behind him. I'm a little jealous. His stuff looks like it's been used frequently. Mine is not. So anyway, Jimmy, welcome to the show, sir. Yeah, thank you for having me. Very excited to, uh, to be here. And uh, thank you for the introduction. Absolutely. So I got a question, though. So 1,200 sites. Let's talk about, are we talking about units, pads? What are we talking, or are we talking about 1,200 mobile home parks? Uh, so we're talking about 1,200 sites. So, you know, mobile homes on site. Gotcha. There is some vacant pads in there. And then since I uh, sent you that bio, now it's a little over 1,300. So okay, all right. I've added, added some, but yeah, it's a mixture of uh, park-owned homes, tenant-owned homes, some vacant pads in there. But um, yeah, that's just the site count. Awesome. So I know one day you just woke up and you had this huge mobile home portfolio just sitting there waiting for you to take care of it. So when the time comes and the tides were right and the fishing charts were looking great, then you could just pick up whatever you wanted to and and go fishing, right? That's how the story goes. One, two, three, easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Yeah. So tell me, man, you tell me how you got started. Uh, so, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, like most people in, in real estate, you know, kind of was always kind of interested in it and uh, always wanted to kind of break into it, you know, saw other people who were successful, kind of living the kind of dream lifestyle. And uh, my first kind of dabbling in real estate is when I was uh, in college, I was working for a company that um, they, uh, you know, handled like the foreclosure process. And I was the guy who took pictures of houses that were in foreclosure in Florida. So, uh, okay. <laughs> and I was like, you know, who, how does it make sense for these people to pay me, you know, 20 bucks a house? You know, I was just shocked by the whole thing. And, you know, in retrospect, I'm like, it's like no money because I'm like, who knows? <laughs> they're, I think they're flipping them or I never even knew what the uh, end all for them was, but that was my first kind of experience in real estate. And I'm like, you know, I was playing soccer in college. And it was the perfect part-time job because it was, hey, here's your 50 houses for the week. Just go take pictures of them. We just need these angles. Do it on your own time and just do it, you know, during this week. So I was like, this is a million times better than a part-time job. Because I'm like, I'm doing this after practice. I'm doing it on the weekend. I was leaving at like six in the morning to get there right when the sun was coming up, knock it out early. (laughs) And I was like, I got to, you know, figure out how I could really do real estate the right way. And yeah. uh yeah, then kind of went into um apartment buildings and then uh finally kind of found uh mobile home parks and uh haven't looked back. So it's been about two years and uh loving every part of it. So uh you got a sense of entrepreneurship when you were still in college, which is pretty incredible. I did too, but I hung on to I'm getting a job in corporate America and I'm gonna <laughs> be a be a VP one day. And um anyway. Our paths are similar, but but different, right? So tell me about, so you, you just said you went from doing that part-time job to kind of going into multifamily and then ultimately settling in mobile home park space. What do you mean kind of went into to multifamily? 
it was kind of like my first job out of college was working for a multifamily guy, just, you know, kind of doing underwriting acquisition. Okay. I learned a lot about just, you know, how to look at deals, um, the small nuances of it, you know, let's look at, you know, the trailing 12 rent rolls. And it's kind of like a, a great primer into uh, just the vocabulary of, of, you know, investment real estate and, you know, all the nitty gritty stuff. And uh, it was a job though. And, you know, again, kind of wanted to, uh, you know, do it right and do it on my own. Cause I saw the people who were investing, the people who were buying the owners. And I'm like, you know, that's just, that's kind of where I want to be. And, yeah. you know, want to just provide more value and uh, then knew some people who were doing self-storage and retail and parks and everything. And uh, kind of listened to a bunch of podcasts like your own and kind of was taking notes and figuring what do I want to jump into and just, you know, kind of, go full steam ahead and I, I settled up on parks and uh, happy that I did so. So what, what's the one thing, cause you don't hear about this whole lot. You don't hear a whole lot about guys who had a mentor in multifamily and kind of grew up in that space and got educated on that space, jumping over to mobile home parks. It's usually you start out mobile home parks and you stay there because you realize you've gotten this golden nugget, right? That you know everything about. So what, what is it that, attracted you to go toward mobile home parks or just explore them versus mm-hmm. staying in multifamily where you had all this structure around you to support you to, to be in that business? Yeah. Kind of three different answers to that question. So the first was um, at the time I was living in an apartment building. It was like a 300 unit complex. <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, it was like, you know, really new, truly all the nitty gritty of living in it to helping buy, you know, properties like it. And I, uh, Everybody in there, it was just a stepping stone. Nobody was like, hey, I want to be here for the rest of my life, me included. I was yeah. like, I just want to save up and, uh, you know, I wanted to like buy a duplex or house hack or kind of just, you know, get out of the apartment building. And same with the neighbors and my friends who live there. So I like, you know, I wanted something more sticky. Um, and I just felt like apartments, people were always a foot out the door. And then same with just, as with anybody, I think everybody wants to, you know, make as much money as possible while working as little as possible. And uh, just seeing, again, from kind of firsthand experience, just the amount of uh, just maintenance and repairs and just upkeep that really any, you know, structure entails. But with apartments, people are moving in, they're moving out, they're breaking their leases, you're turning the units. It's just kind of constantly the never ending cycle. And then I interrupt you, though. Yeah. You're telling me in the mobile home smart space that you have tenants who don't break their leases. Park owned homes are a lot different than tenant owned homes. So okay. we have um, totally different. So I mean, I yeah. have like one park that I've been a part of it is one of my first deals going on two years. We've had one person out of 38 turnover. So I think like in a typical 38 single family homes or 38 apartments, a lot more turnover just statistically. And then here we've gotten lucky, but you know, one person, they passed away and um, the son, you know, took over the home and he sold it to somebody else and didn't work out. So we ended up buying it and then basically just reselling it. So in two years, one move out. And uh, that was kind of the second reason why I wanted to get in the park because I felt like it was, uh, you know, because the people were more sticky, it was just a lot less, no maintenance, not as much repairs on the homes themselves. Because they owned them and it was their home. Gotcha. And, then, um, and then the last reason is uh, in my research, I, you know, I already knew there was like over 2 million apartment buildings in the country. 
and there's less than 40,000 mobile home parks. So I'm like, I want to be you know, in the deal side of the business. And uh, I just felt like a lot of uh, demand with little supply that I could probably do well in uh, wholesaling parks just because there wasn't many of them. Yeah. And that was kind of the, uh, the three reasons why I jumped in the parks. And let me ask you this with, <clears throat> I get the difference between a park owned home and a, a tenant owned home. And some of this stigma I've heard, I don't own any mobile home parks. I own uh, one mobile home currently that I'm owner financing to a guy. I've had a few in our portfolio throughout the years, but we're, we're down to one. We've been looking at some mobile home parks here recently um, with the idea that they were going to be tenant owned homes only. One of the things that I keep hearing though, as I explore and research this more is that the tenants, while there is no maintenance for the landlord, right? And for you or for me or whoever, the tenants don't necessarily take care of their homes the mm-hmm. best, or maybe take care of their, their lot the best. Mm-hmm. How do you enforce that to make sure that you have a good, clean community that you're proud to own, right? Yeah. Yeah. It varies a lot on the kind of quality of the community and the quality of the, you know, the prior owner. I mean, typically when we take these over, we're almost always doing like a spring cleanup style weekend. Okay. We're going to bring in, depending on how big the property is, one dumpster, two, three, four big dumpsters. And those things get filled up like you like look the other way and they're, it's like full. <laughs> <laughs> so you bring, you bring in these rollaway dumpsters and you tell your tenants, hey, uh, we're going to have these dumpsters here for the weekend. Put whatever you want to in there, they can fill them up. And then you just pay to move them, move them out real away, yep. right? Yep. Wow. So that's one of the things. Um, and uh, that's just really the, the value of that is just getting them to kind of clean up and see that we're going to be caring more. Yeah. Another one is um, like scrap metal guys. Typically, yeah. you know, I mean, kind of bigger metros will have, you know, like kind of we pick up your junk style right. companies. Right. So we yeah. found some where it's like these guys just like scrap metal. So we'll be like, Hey, <laughs> drag your scrap metal out. And we'll do this, you know, typically months after the dumpsters for kind of the straggler type of stuff and uh, yeah. kind of facilitate that. Um, see if the city does anything, really do anything we can to do like bigger right off the bat cleanups. And then uh, obviously that only does a little bit of the damage. And then the long term, that's when stuff will pile up again and, so our property, you know, on-site managers, uh, depending on the community, again, they'll either once a week or once a month, they have like a template that I um, give them and then they walk, you know, around each home in the park and they make a list of any kind of violations. So that would be gotcha. like garbage bags outside your house. If your stairs are falling down, your skirting's broke, abandoned cars, that's a very common one. Really? And, wow. um <laughs> And then we decide, you know, based off of kind of what it is and the severity of it, is it like a 48 hour violation where, hey, move those garbage bags in two days or else we're fining you? Yeah. Or is it, you know, the skirting, we know they got to go out, they got to buy it, you know, maybe hire somebody. So that will give them like a month. Right. So that's kind of how we try and, you know, maintain a level of cleanliness on the lots. What happens inside the homes? I mean, I can't tell you. Folks, I hope you're writing that down. I've never heard of that before when somebody comes in and takes over a mobile home park and they roll in these dumpsters and say, all right, we're cleaning the place up. We're bringing these dumpsters in tenants. You'll have anything you want to get rid of. 
toss it in here. If not, we're going to start writing you up and we're going to start finding you. But now we're giving you the option to do that. So I hope you folks are writing it down. That's, that's incredible. Um, let's back up for a minute. I, I kind of got ahead of myself, excited to talk about the mobile home park space. But I want to go back to your, to your story uh, and talk about why you wanted to start real estate investing. And I know it has a lot to do with fishing. Kind of, kind of walk us through that whole thing and then um, we'll go from there. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, so many reasons why, but yeah, like I told you earlier, the uh, the fishing story, I remember one day, um, I love fishing for king mackerel and Spanish mackerel. It's a popular fish down here around Tampa. And I remember the reports, everybody's catching them. They're just, they're jumping in the boat, basically. <laughs> it's a beautiful day. There's no wind. It was just the, uh, you know, kind of, oh, you know how it goes, sort of, I'm stuck at work and I wish I was fishing. And I said, yeah, I just, I don't want to be just kind of looking out the window, hoping. I'm like, I want to be able to, uh, if it's a Tuesday and I want to go, because, you know, the mackerel are biting while I'm going. And I kind of. Do you have that freedom now? I hear a lot of people talk about this and they're on their way to financial freedom. I'm using air quotes for those people who are um, not watching this and they're just listening. But do you have that freedom right now? Like if tomorrow you wake up and you've got this whole laundry list of stuff to do and you get a report that says you need to go fishing today. Are you going fishing? Yes and no. It depends on the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Luckily, I hired somebody recently, so he's able to kind of be there, you know, for when I'm nice. not. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think more yes than no. I definitely okay. pay the price and catching up. So like, you know, it's kind of like, like going on vacation as a business owner, you look forward yeah. to it, but then, you know, you're like, man, when I get back, I'm, you know, kind of <laughs> I'm definitely nowhere near the point of like, I could just walk away for a couple of weeks and not have to worry about it. It needs me day to day, but I do, if I wanted to, you know, go tomorrow, you could definitely go tomorrow nice. with a little preparation tonight. And, uh, a little brain damage tomorrow night. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So when you started out, you're like, all right, I want to have the freedom to go fishing whenever I wanted to. Um, what kept you from accomplishing that now? And I say what kept, but it's incredible. You've done this within a couple of years, but you didn't start out uh, with mobile home parks, right? You started out wholesaling, you did some other stuff, but what kept you when you think about your investing journey, what are some of the roadblocks that you hit that you're like, I was not expecting this, or man, it could have went a lot better than this or, or, or things along that nature. What are some of the roadblocks that you, you hit? Uh, yeah, great question. And uh, I think in the beginning, just, you know, I, one of the reasons why I got into parks, like I said, was just because there's so few of them. And I think I kind of underestimated the competition chasing after them because yeah. there's some, um, <laughs> You know, if I look at my database, there's some counties, some areas where there's really no kind of mom and pop off-market deals left. They're all professional or institutionally owned. So I think I was like, you know, I'm going to do mobile home parks. I'm going to do it right here in my backyard. And uh, I was just, you know, just green and I just didn't know. So um, once I started building it out and I'm like, these are all like big companies from New York, <laughs> Michigan and California who own them. I'm like, I'm going to take a step back. I'm like, I'm only going to look around like my house in particular, like ones I could drive to in 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, there's like no, there's like no parks that are owned in somebody's individual name. They're all companies. <laughs> so then I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I can't, you know, these are huge companies. They're not going to sell off market for a wholesale price to some 23 year old. So I'm like, I got to look elsewhere. So I went up to Alabama and that's kind of where I closed my first deals. 
And I found there in some of the smaller areas that it just was not as saturated with you know institutional money as Florida was. So that was like one of my first big roadblocks because I you know really had no money, was just getting started. I'm like, I can't be traveling a ton, so I kind of have to do this remotely. I was you know trying to run it as lean as I could because I kind of had a, a short window of uh, you know cash in the bank before going to run out of money. So yeah. I had to close a deal and. Uh, <laughs> Closed my first two up in Alabama and then uh, kind of set the precedent for the type of parks I've been chasing since. But that was a, a big, huge roadblock off the bat where I'm like, there's not many, not many parks in Florida that are going to be off market, direct to seller, wholesale price. There's a lot of parks in Florida, but not off market, direct to seller type of thing, right? Uh, yeah. You said your first deal was in Alabama. Where, where at? What location? Uh, Birmingham Metro, so it's a little okay. town uh, about an hour south of Birmingham. And, which which uh, one? Called Clanton, Alabama. Yeah, the Peach Peach Place, Peach Farm. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I sir. I grew up in uh, Gadsden, which is northeast of Birmingham. Spent about ten years in Birmingham, and then my sibling, my brother, and my parents still live in that area. So anytime we go see them, we we drive. We have never stopped at the Peach Park, but. Nice. There. I was just up there uh, in your neck of the woods on uh, last week. Got, I got three parks up in uh, Anniston area. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there was actually another roadblock was uh, my first deal was not just the Clanton park. It was a two park package where the second one was in Anniston. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah, so it was, uh, yeah, spent a lot of time up there and uh, yeah, trying to uh, get whatever's left. Uh, That's awesome. Parts up there. <laughs> that is awesome. So you're on your way, you got this big dream of, you know, being your own boss one day and being able to go fishing whenever you wanted to. I'm sure there's a wife and some kids around there too, that, uh, help with that or part of the dream. Right. Yeah. yeah. So with your, you're running into these roadblocks, was this while you were married and, and a parent, or was it one of those things where you didn't realize this and you started doing all this and you figured it out, then you got married and then you started having kids. What's up, y'all? So I want to take a break with uh, the interview with Jimmy just to come back and say, hello, I missed you. It's been like 15 or 20 minutes since we've had some one-on-one time. And uh, now after saying that, I realize how ridiculous that sounds. This is a one to none, right? I don't get to interact with you. So if you ever have any questions about anything I talk about here at the podcast, email me directly, j at w2capitalist.com. It's J-A-Y at w2capitalist.com. That is my email address. And coming from a cybersecurity background, uh, no one else has access to that, not even my VA. So I, I do see that. I monitor it. I monitor it. I reply to every message that comes in. So that is that comes directly to me. Nobody else sees that. But I want to encourage you to stick around to the end of this episode where we talk about some off-the-wall stuff. We actually talk about flood zones for a little bit. And after I hung up, with Jimmy, I realized there's a huge resource that I need to make sure he knows about and I want to make sure you know about it. So stick around. I'll give you the link to that. It's completely free. It's a resource that I use to check flood zones. But stick around to the end. We're going to talk about some off the wall stuff and I'm going to provide you with some suggested next steps, some action items you can take to help move your needle along, right? All right, let's get back to the interview with Mr. Jimmy Johnson. So it was, uh, so my current girlfriend, she was, uh, you know, since then she like works in the salon and she has like a more flexible schedule. So that was like another kind of reason for wanting to yeah. get in the park. So we're, uh, we're not married. We don't have kids yet, but she had this more, like she's off Mondays, off Wednesdays. 
Nice. When we first started dating, I was, you know, working Monday through Friday, but then she works on the weekend. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't really, I want to like be off when you're off because we want to go fishing and do stuff. And uh, I was going to ask you how she might be a good girlfriend. She might be a good business partner, but how is she as a fishing partner? That's the most important question we're asking today. Right. I put a, I put a lot of time and energy into it. But, uh, <laughs> she's good. So she, uh, she you know, at this point she could bait the hook, take the fish off and, uh, all right. Yeah, a lot of uh, <laughs> lot of energy and to get into that though. <laughs> That's good. That's good. That's funny. But uh yeah, so that was you know, that was the motivation behind it too, just because, yeah. you know, as everybody they wanna spend time with their spouse and uh you know, we just had conflicting schedules and I was yeah. like, Well, I know there's guys out there who can, you know, do what they want when they want. So I'm like, oh, I don't wanna be working when she's off and vice versa. So uh there was another kind of motivation. And now we, uh, we do a lot of our traveling and stuff, you know, weekend trips into Monday because she has Monday off and, uh, nice. you know, it was a motivation just for us to kind of be able to be synced up, you know? Yeah. And sounds like you're committed without being committed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. On the head. <laughs> uh, what's your girlfriend's name? Danielle. Is there anything you want to tell Danielle during this podcast? You let me know, you just make the signal and I'll get, I'll be, I'll get quiet. Yeah. Uh, thank you for all the help. <laughs> she's been uh she's been great with the part. She uh knows a lot about them and helps a lot now. <laughs> That's awesome. Going back to your to your notes here, you talked about when you first started into your wholesale business. Um you went from having a steady paycheck every couple of weeks to now wholesaling, right? Where you went months and upon months without a paycheck. How did you I, and that's one of the biggest things that scared me from ever quitting my, I was laid off from my W2 best thing ever happened to me. Right. I never had the guts to quit. Right. And, and kind of do what you, you did. How did you handle that mentally and also uh, financially? Yeah. I mean, financially it was uh, kind of preparing. Like I knew I wanted to, and it's kind of like that one is the right time. So I struggled yeah. with deciding how much money should I have in the bank? you know, how much time is it going to take me to close a deal? And, you know, of course I thought it was going to be a lot less than it really was. <laughs> sure. um, so yeah, financially it was a combo of, you know, some preparation, which, you know, probably underprepared and uh, undersaved and, and all that. But uh, I think in retrospect to me, it kind of motivated to get those deals done uh, quicker. Cause it was, it was literally, a, it's either kind of go get a different job that you know, probably isn't going to be as good or and kind of throw in the towel or make this happen. So yeah. you know, I've always kind of been like, if I'm doing it, I'm doing it. If we're going somewhere, we're going, you know? And um, I was like, I just can't, I can't, you know, quit on it. So I just was so motivated, just literally working 24 seven trying to get those first deals done. So I think, uh, I think once people don't have that comfort, then like everything changes. Cause if I didn't quit and I was like, I'm going to go part-time probably would have taken maybe never to what it is. So, right. I'm under contract because what I knew at the time is that everything looked good. Uh, I asked for a rent roll. What I got back was an eight and a half, 11 sheet of paper like this, where they had drawn out the park and pen. And then they listed uh, lot one and how much the rent was lot two, how much the rent was. And that was the rent roll. And I was like, Sounds good. Can we get some tax documents that show this? No. Well, way. No. <laughs> so yeah, there was none of that. So I, I backed out. It was a little riskier and I wanted to take on. 
plus the this guy this was a what i would label as a, a true mom and pop is that uh there was eight septic tanks throughout the property i asked for the records for those septic tank installations didn't exist because he installed them himself uh, meaning uh, he didn't uh, he didn't sorry. go to the health department to to get yeah. you know he did them himself and i was like <laughs> No way. Those are uh, mom and pops in a nutshell. I mean, I have, yeah, I mean, the napkin rent rolls, the 8 by 11 sheet of paper rent rolls. (laughs) Some of them don't even know who's living in the homes. They say they just pay. (laughs) Always cash. Uh, Like you said, never any records. And uh, it's the wild loss. And uh, it is. is. But you know what's funny is the moment I backed out of that deal, he got a cash offer like the next day. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, everything happens for a reason. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, all right. So now that you have accomplished your goal of, I'm just going to label it what I think it is. You can go and fish anytime you want to. How has that has that changed your mindset about what the future holds for for Jimmy Johnson? Yeah, I think the biggest kind of shift for that has just been like the opportunity, kind of just seeing it and knowing, like, hey, to go fishing or to buy mobile home parks. Did you really do anything? Because <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's always been, you know, kind of like the what if, you know, like yeah. what if we could have. I got a um, what if for you. Yeah. Let's say you're out fishing, right? You have, what's your favorite fish to catch? You said Spanish mackerel and what was the other one? King mackerel. Yeah. King mackerel. So you, you have a mackerel on the line. Biggest mm-hmm. one you've ever caught. And it feels like the biggest one you ever caught. Yeah. You don't have it to the boat yet. Your phone rings. Your girlfriend answers it. She says, hey, this is a lead on such and such mobile home park is the best deal you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Do you answer the phone or do you reel the fish in? Those are your only two options. I think I'm going to have to go with reel the fish in. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can't seem too desperate. You got to kind of someone put the sellers on ice. Ah, so it's not just your little fishing, it's strategy. The strategy. It's, okay. It's strategy. Yeah. And some people are, they're begging for the parks and uh, you got to seem cool and you don't really need that. So. <laughs> Only that's, for that reason. That's why the fish is coming in first. That's incredible. That's an incredible. Answer. And then I'm telling the mom and pop who owns that you're not going to believe it. I'll send you a picture of the mackerel right now. <laughs> and they're going to like that. And then, then we're in there. So you're already thinking about how to create rapport with them. I like it. I like it. All right. I rudely interrupted you uh, talking about mindset and how this kind of shifted for you, changed for you. Oh, yeah. No problem. And uh, yeah, I think just like looking at there's just opportunity, you can kind of like, wake up any day and just kind of you can do whatever you want. So, you know, yeah. I could wake up and I'm going to call all day and kind of create opportunity. So before I thought, you know, like, well, that person got lucky and <laughs> this just happened or, you know, how do you even get something like that? And now it's like, and even like, at, you know, sand dollar, I, you know, tell like my employees, like, we don't like, we do not believe in luck. Like you make your own luck. There's no right. such thing as bad luck. And like, I'll say the story, like, you know, if you get pulled over for speeding, a lot of people are like, well, the cop was hiding. I didn't see him. Just bad luck. They're just giving everybody tickets. And it's like, well, you know, you were speeding. And if you weren't, you wouldn't have got, you know, pulled over. So I I think just looking at things differently to where like, kind of create your own luck, make opportunity. And uh, even on, you know, road trips when we're stopping and seeing, like, if we're driving from here to Birmingham to go see a park, and we stop on, you know, some little town on the way to grab lunch, you know, go to the bathroom, we'll drive to the town quick. And if we see a park, you know, I'll jot that down. I'll send it to my assistant. <laughs> go get the info. Next thing you know, we're calling that owner. 
hey, we just drove through. We're driving from Tampa to Birmingham. You got a nice little property there. And, uh, you know, just kind of creating our own opportunity. And uh, I think that's been the biggest shift by far is just uh, kind of once it was rolling, just knowing that can kind of make of this what I want, you know, to make out of it. Yeah, you said something earlier about um, I wrote down bait shop. And because anytime I'm new to a new area or anytime I go into a bait shop, I'm going to ask the guy working behind the counter, hey, what are people catching mm-hmm. reds on? Right. I love catching redfish. And <clears throat> he'll tell me or I'll ask him, hey, what are people catching? Right. And then he'll tell me and then he'll say, well, you, you need to get the pink jig for this week or whatever. Right. So we kind of I'm sure you guys do, too. Like if you pull in these little towns and you're scoping out a property, and you're doing your due diligence. Like if I stop at a gas station, I typically pay at the pump, but I'm going to go in. I'm yep. going to strike up a conversation with a guy or a gal behind the counter. Hey, what do you know about this property down the road? Right. Exactly. And then we'll make sure that we eat some sort of meal in a sit down restaurant. I'm going to ask the waitress or waiter who's waiting on us. Hey, what do you know about this? And one time my son asked me, he goes, dad, why do you keep asking the same question? Why do you keep asking these people the same question? Cause he goes with us. Yeah. And, um, I was like, well, I'm looking for a trend. You know, yeah, I'm looking definitely. for, I want to be the guy behind the counter in the bait shop where he has the information of what's happening right out on the water. So what's happening in there. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, hundred percent. I mean, that's, I think in any type of real estate, asking, like there's always little businesses near yeah, whether it's yeah. an apartment building, self-storage, anything. And, uh, I do the same with parks. I'll like go to the pizza shop across the street. And a lot of times whoever works there, you know, they often live, you know, right in the, there, yeah. the subject property and uh, we'll ask the same thing. Hey, you know, what do you know about that? If it's like in a flood zone, does it flood? If it's, you know, how are the tenants there? What are the owners like? So it's, um, yeah, we do the same. And then even uh, talk to other parks in town and we'll be like, Hey, I'm looking at, you know, buying one of the other parks in town. You know, I've got this many sites, you know, looking to grow. And a lot of times you know, they just want to do business with people in person. So I've got yeah. to deal that way too. Um, so I try and when we're on the road, maximize that trip. I want to do as much due diligence as possible, as much acquisition work as possible. And I think that's, uh, yeah, the bait shop analogy is great. So um, I want to move to what I call off the wall segment for the podcast. It's three questions. And every one of those questions, they, let me see today, they don't really have anything to do about real estate investing or fishing. We're going to talk about fishing today. And we're going, I'm going to introduce a new segment, brand new. This may be the only time I ever do it, but you and I have so much in common about fishing. We're going to call it the after show. So here in a minute, after we do off the wall, uh, we're going to wrap things up, but stick around because we're, we're, you and I are going to talk about some fishing and, uh, but off the wall, man. All right. Question number one, are you ready? I'm ready. What are your bad habits? People said, well, I'll, I'll pay you to help me get my first. I'm like, no, no. Yeah, I'm just going to tell you. And if you don't want it, I'll help you wholesale it. So there you uh, go. All right, y'all. So thank you for sticking around to the end. I promised you a couple of links. Number one, talking about flood zones, the link that I look at. And th- the reason why this is important is if anytime I look at an opportunity, the very first, well, one of the very first things that I do is I go to FEMA's website and look to see if it's in a flood zone. I do not invest in flood zones for several reasons, and I think I'm going to save that for another episode. But I think it's this is a tool that every investor, whether you're okay with investing in flood zones or not, you should have at your disposal. And if you just point your browser to MSC, that's Mary Sam Charlie. 
dot FEMA, F-E-M-A dot gov, you're going to get to the FEMA's Flood Map Service Center where you can enter any address and it's going to show exactly where the flood zones are, if your property's in them, and give you all sorts of information that is going to allow you to make a more, yeah, I guess I could say more, more accurate assessment if this is something, if the property you're looking into is something that you want to move forward with. It's a very quick and easy way to get to identify if this is a property you want to go after. Second link I want to give you, we talked about at the very beginning, talking about the bank on yourself concept. I mentioned my agent, Mr. Mark Willis, and I want to give you that link one more time. It's w2capitalist.com forward slash bank, w2capitalist.com forward slash B-A-N-K. This is a concept, again, it's been around for hundreds of years. It's something that I started doing last year. I'm building up and becoming basically my own bank so that when the time comes, like right now, we're under contract for a 16-unit small apartment portfolio, and instead of going to the bank for loans to close this deal, I would essentially just to go to my life insurance policy. So I want to invite you again to schedule a 15 minute free consultation with Mark to see if this bank on yourself concept is right for you. And you can do so at w2capitalist.com forward slash B-A-N-K. All right, guys, let's get out there and earn, invest, repeat. Repeat.